I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're starting 365 Days by Blanka Lapinska. <laughs> I don't know if I'm butchering that name, Blanka Lapinska. So, 365 Days, ooh boy. It's described on the cover of the book as the million copy number one international bestseller that inspired the hit movie. Now, I don't know if it's a hit movie, but I'm looking forward to reading this and then watching it and deciding which one's better. So I've only read the first chapter so far, but essentially this book is translated from the original, which was written in Polish, but it's set in Italy because they say, write what you know. And I guess this Polish author knows about mafia bosses in Italy having rough sex scenes. So, so there's a lot of Italian names. The first line says, do you know what this means, Massimo? So I'm guessing that our antagonist slash protagonist slash who knows what the fuck he is, is called Massimo. And so Massimo says, I'll take over that company, whether the Manantes like it or not. And he stands up and Mario and Domenico follow. So yes, everyone's name ends with an O. He says the meeting was pleasant enough, but too long. So he shakes hands with Mario and Domenico and then heads for the door and he lifts his hand with the index finger outstretched, which I'm guessing is like a wave goodbye, Uh, beats me. And then he's taking his jacket off and undoing another button of his black shirt, another button. We haven't haven't heard about the first button. And now he's sitting in the backseat of a car, savoring the silence and the coolness of the conditioned air. Not the air conditioning, it's the conditioned air. And I just, I do not know where we are in the world. He's standing up, he's lifting up his index finger, he's taking off another button, even though we haven't heard about the first button, and he's in a car. And and where are Mario and Domenico? Have they left? Are they in the car with him? I don't know. I'm, I'm very scrambled here. So he tells the driver to go home, and he starts going through the messages on his mobile. <laughs> okay. And most were business related, but one was from Anna. Who the hell's Anna? But she says, I'm wet. I need to be punished. And then his penis is stirring in his pants. And he's grabbing his penis through the fabric and squeezing hard. Okay. She's really throwing us in the deep end here. With, with this Massimo with the hard cock in the back of the car. So he texts back saying, be ready at eight. And then he just relaxes in the back seat of the car and closes his eyes. And then he has this image of a woman 
It says, there she was again. My cock instantly grew hard as steel. Now I thought it was already hard, but I guess it was hard when he saw the text. Then it went soft and now it's hard again. And he says, God, I'll go crazy if I don't find her. It had been five years since the accident. Five long years since the miracle of death and resurrection. Again, I'm very confused. So he died five years ago <laughs> and then did a Jesus on us and came back to life. That's, that's, I think what she's telling us. And then for five years, he's been dreaming about this woman that he's never seen in real life. I had met her in my comatose visions. So he had this vision of a woman while he was in a coma or, or dead, either or. And now she just keeps popping into his head. And whenever she does, he gets a cock that's as hard as steel. And he says, every time I make love to Anna or any other woman, I made love to her. I named her my mistress. She was my curse, my obsession, and apparently my salvation. So the little we know of Massimo so far is that he likes to raise a hand with an index finger straightened up. His cock gets hard very quickly. And there's some sort of vision of a person in his head that he's obsessed with. And he calls her his mistress. Okay. I can get on board with that. She's taken a while to really situate me in a time and a place here, but he's horny for this person in his comatose visions. I get that. That's relatable. So then the car stops and he steps out and Domenico and Mario were already waiting on the tarmac. So how they beat him there, I don't know. Also, he told the car to go home and now he's at an airport. What? And that, yeah, he's, he's getting on the plane and he's greeting the pilot as he enters the plane. So now he's on a plane and Domenico and Mario are just there as well. So then a flight attendant gives him a glass of whiskey and he's just staring at her blankly, but she's apparently smiling flirtatiously and he thinks, why not? He seizes her by the hand and pulls her with him towards the private part of the jet. Towards the private part of the jet. What's this part? But he yells at the pilot and says, take off and closes the door. And the pilot's just like, yeah, all right. Now's as good a time as ever. He doesn't need to get clearance from the control tower or anything. So Massimo said, take off, he's taken off. So he's in this private room with the flight attendant and he's pushing her against the wall. And it says she was terrified. And then I closed the distance between us, allowed our mouths to touch and bit her lower lip. he's pushing her against the wall, but apparently there's a distance between them. How? I don't know, but he's biting her lip like it's 50 shades. And then he's like tugging on her hair, admiring her beauty. And he says, I required all my employees to be aesthetically pleasing. I liked my things pretty. (laughs) So this is Christian Grey on roids. And then he pushes her down and tells her to kneel. And he unzips his pants and the flight attendant swallowed loudly. So (laughs) I guess he whipped his cock out and she went, (laughs) she did the gulping sound, which is just so comical. But then he tells her to close her eyes. You'll only open them when I tell you to. And his cock is almost painfully stiff and it rests on the girl's lips. Oh boy. And then he pushed his prick all the way in, holding her head so she couldn't move. I felt her choking and thrust in even deeper. Oh yes, I loved it when their eyes snapped wide open in terror as if they really thought they'd suffocate. Well, he's a psycho. Massimo is a massive asshole. He holds her head and he says, I'll fuck your mouth. May I? 
And her face is expressing nothing. No smile, no emotion. But finally she nods her consent. And he says, thank you, and starts fucking her mouth. Okay, so what kind of monster shoves his dick in your mouth, then pulls out and says, oh, can I have your consent? And then continues to do what he was doing before the consent was given. Also, pretty sure it's not consent. Especially because he thrusts into her mouth and her nails bite painfully into his thighs because she's trying to push him off her. And he says, I liked it when they fought, when they were helpless against my strength. Yeah, uh, that's rape. This is rape. She's pushing you off her and you like it. And then he pictures his mistress from the coma. (laughs) And I guess that does the trick because Jizz spurts out from his shaft feeling the girl's throat, choking her. Her, and then he withdraws a fraction and he orders her to swallow and tears roll down her cheeks, but she complies. Eh, that's right. And you'd think that would be enough, but no, he pulls out and she collapses back on her heels and he says, now lick it, lick it clean. So she does and he says, thanks. Oh boy. So then he goes back to, I don't know, the, the non-private part of the private jet. And Mario's just like, oh, back in your father's day, they'd shoot us all dead. And I was like, what, what are we talking about? But we finally get some context. Massimo just, you know, joins the conversation and he says, I am the head of the Torricelli family and I got where I am by no quirk of fate. I have been brought up prepared to lead the family and bring it into a new era. Doesn't really tell us what the family business is, but at least we know it's a family business. And then he looks at Domenico. And he says, I turn to my brother. So Domenico's his brother. And he says, tell your men to start looking for that horse son, Alfredo. (laughs) We haven't had a name that didn't end in O yet. (laughs) This is just great. So then they land in Catania, which I think is in Sicily, because he can see Mount Etna on the horizon. And he's at the airport, I guess. But then suddenly he sees her and it's his mistress. And he's like, wait a second, are these hallucinations growing stronger? I really feel like I saw her. But then he's like, nah, later, I've got to sort some things out, like find the cocaine dealer who had mysteriously disappeared. And I'm like, oh, okay, so they're they're cocaine people. I mean, I guess I should have, you know, suspected that drugs were involved, but it's nice to get confirmation that he's he's a coke boss. But then they're approaching the car and he thinks, fucking hell, that's impossible because he sees her again. And he pulls Domenico aside. And he's like, it's her, it's her, it's the girl. And Domenico is like, uh, calm the fuck down, Massimo. But he says, yep, that's her, her eyes, nose, her lips. It was her just like I dreamed. And I guess his brother's just like, uh, Massimo, yeah, she's not with us. You can't just go and chase her down. But I'm sending people after her right now. You'll know who she is before we reach home, Massimo. He says, you've waited so long, you can wait a couple hours more. So Domenico must know all about it. He's... (laughs) Domenico's just the coolest, most efficient younger brother. Massimo just says, oh, that's her, my mistress. And Domenico's like, say no more. I'm well aware of the visions in your head since you had your coma five years ago. Without being prompted, he just, I don't know, puts a call out for someone to kidnap her. He's like, no, yep, we'll have her soon. Domenico, you're really anticipating your brother's needs here. But Massimo isn't grateful. He stares at Domenico 
where the gay is so furious and hateful. He says, I could have killed him right there. And he says to Domenico, you have one hour, you have 60 minutes to tell me who she is. And then Whiplash, suddenly he's in his office or something and he's got photos of his mistress. Yep, he's got an envelope filled with photos of her. So Domenico really is quick. And apparently her name is Laura Beale. So Domenico comes into his office after he just looks at the photos of Laura for half an hour. This is so bizarre, by the way. I, I, I know I'm just speeding through the plot here because it's, it's pinballing me down through the pages because it's just so freaking confusing. But we're led to believe this girl is a doppelganger, but not for a real person, for a vision in his head. She, she is the spinning image of this vision in his head, so he's got a kidnapper. I'm sorry, what? And I'm not using the word kidnap to be dramatic. He, he says to Domenico, I'll kidnap her. There was no hesitation in my voice. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'll kidnap her. He's not trying to romanticize it. He's like, I know what this is. So yeah, they're just planning to kidnap this poor bitch. And then Anna walks in and Anna's like, remember me? <laughs> and he had completely forgotten about her and he's like, ah, oh, fuck. So Domenico slinks out and then Anna's sitting in his lap and she says, hit me and bites her lip. And oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> She's just zero to 60 in 3.5. She says, oh, let me just read it out. Hit me, she pleaded, biting my lip, rubbing her clit on the zipper of my pants. Hard exclamation mark. Rubbing her clit on the zipper of his pants. I'm sorry, but that can't be comfortable for her poor clit. So he takes off his tie. He pushes her down onto the floor and then blindfolds her with the tie. And then she's bent over the table and he's spanking her, but he's still staring at the photos of Laura, which are spread out on the table. And of course, because it's a photo of his mistress, that makes his dick as hard as steel because... We've already described his dick as hard as steel once in this book. We might as well say it twice this chapter. And then he purrs, oh yes, while gently rubbing her wet snatch. Her wet snatch. This is the most misogynist thing I've ever read. So then he's banging her and spanking her at the same time and choking her at the same time while also staring at all the photos on the desk. So there's just a lot going on for Massimo. And then her ass is turning purple, so he bends over and licks it. He spreads her ass cheeks and begins trailing his tongue around her sweet hole, visualizing his mistress all the time. I thought Fifty Shades was graphic, but we're just, we're getting everything in just this first little chapter. We've hit all the orifices. And he's just talking about how he's staring at Laura and that he will possess her. And soon those black eyes will look at him as she kneels before him. And then he says, you bitch, while he orgasms inside of this other girl. Just very, very misogynistic. But he's not done. He says, even though I couldn't last any longer, I needed to feel more. So he slides his cock out of her pussy. His words, not mine. And slams it into her tight ass. And she's screaming wildly in pain. Uh, uh, And then we have a little line that says eight hours earlier and we're changing perspective and now we're in Laura's head. And so her alarm clock's going off and then Martin is saying, get up, honey, it's nine already. We have to be at the airport in an hour. Our Sicilian vacation awaits. Wakey, wakey. So 
she's just like, let's get the exposition in to describe what's happening, which I'm thankful for because in that first bit with Massimo, we were on a plane, we were on a bloody train, we were on a, we were in a car, we were at a meeting, buttons were getting undone, cocks were hard as steel. I didn't know where we were. We were just whipping boop, 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 from scene to scene. So it's nice that Martin's here to be like, it's 9am. We need to be at the airport. We're going to Sicily. He's like, here's what you need to know. But she must be jet lagged because she's like, oh, it's the middle of the night for me. So I don't know where she's from, but I'm assuming Poland. And I don't think Poland and Italy have wildly different time zones. Like you're still in Europe. You're not on a red eye from Melbourne. And she tells us she's just quit her job as a sales manager for a hotel, which was her dream position. But she, she quit because she lost the passion for her work. I never thought at the age of 29 I'd feel burned out. But those were the facts. <laughs> those were the facts. She says working at the hotel had been satisfying and fulfilling. Good for her ego because every time she negotiated a big contract, she felt a thrill. And with each little victory in her financial battles, she was given a feeling of superiority. Not really explaining why she wanted to quit, but okay. And Martin's like, yeah, that's all very well and good, but you need to get up. And she says, Martin, please, it's the middle of the night. And no, it's, it's 8 a.m., wherever they are. So Martin just progresses in waking her up. And she says, Martin is a heavily built bull-like man with a bald head perched on top of a wide neck. <laughs> okay. But apparently he was nothing like what he looks like. And he has his own company. And every time he scores a big hit, he transfers a large sum to a children's hospice. Okay, I don't know what he's scoring a big hit with in his company. What, it, what, what does he do? She's not telling us what he does, but it's a big company. That's all we need to know. But his entire body is covered in tattoos and he weighs a good deal more than 200 pounds. We're just getting lots of exposition. And at five feet five and 110 pounds, she's very mismatched. And she tells us that she used to do some sports, but whatever took her fancy at the time. From Nordic walking to karate. I never stuck to any discipline for long. Nordic walking, what's that? I'm intrigued by that. But this is all just saying that she's extremely fit. Her tummy was hard as a rock and her legs are slim and muscled and her buttocks toned and curvy. Okay, thanks for that. Good to know. So then she gets to the mirror and she brushes her teeth, puts some pins in her hair and applies some mascara. And that's about it. She didn't have much in it to do anything else. And she goes, besides, it would be enough. A while ago, I had splurged on permanent brows, eye and lip makeup out of sheer laziness. It allows me to have more sleep and limit the morning bathroom routine to the bare minimum. So she's got permanent brow, eye and lip makeup. Is that like a tattoo? I don't, I don't really know what that's about. It, it seems like it's pretty drastic, right? But then she just contradicts herself. And she's like, even though she's not putting in effort in her face... She's got to look as attractive with her clothes as she possibly can to distract from her face. What? Your face with the permanent makeup you need to distract from with a nice outfit. Uh, Sorry? So she selects denim shorts, a loose white shirt and a cotton cardigan. (laughs) Because even if it's boiling outside, the plane would be cold. So she needed the cardi. She says, planes were too cold for me. And even if it meant I'd boil outside first, at least I'd feel comfortable on board. Bitch, you can take the cardi off. You, you can pack your cardigan in your bag or just carry it over your shoulder. And then when you get cold on the plane, just put it on. You're not committed to wearing the cardigan all day in the heat. And also that's the outfit that, that you put so much time into that will distract from your face. 
a white top denim shorts and a cardi. Mm, boy. Okay. And because it's first chapter exposition time, she tells us about how she met Martin. It had been six months since she'd had a relationship. So she set up a profile on a dating site and it boosted her already high self-esteem. So I will say it is kind of nice that she's got high self-esteem. Coming from Bella Swan and Anastasia Steele, two self-deprecating little depressed pieces of shit, it's quite nice that she knows her worth, at least so far. So she stumbles on Martin's profile. Anyway, we clicked, and thus a petite girl tamed the tattooed monster. (laughs) Okay. He donates money to a children's hospice, but yeah, okay, call him a tattooed monster. Oh, but because they were both strong dominant types, their relationship was prone to explosive outbursts. But the only thing their relationship was lacking was animal magnetism, unbridled attraction and passion, which had just never been there. So apparently Martin has already had his share of fucking, but she, on the other hand, was a volcano of sexual energy threatening to explode at any time. And so she had to search for a release by masturbating on a daily basis. But still, it felt good to be at Martin's side. We are getting every bit of detail. So they go to the airport. She tells us how she's afraid of planes. She's got a fear of flying because she has to tell us every little thing about her life the past 29 years. We we are getting the full rundown on her inner psyche. And they're meeting their other friends in the departure hall, Carolina and Michael or Mikal, or Michal. It's M-I-C-H-A-L, but the L has a little line dashed through it. So it's Michal, or something like that. And then she gives us a full fucking rundown on Carolina and Michal. You know, here's your typical womanizer. Short blonde hair, deep tan, blue eyes. He was pretty good looking, but all he ever was interested in was boobs. (laughs) So she's just saying, yeah, he's a boob man. And then Carolina, on the other hand, she's a tall, long-legged blonde. Nothing special at first glance, but when you came to know her, she became remarkably interesting. (laughs) Poor Carolina. Nothing special at first glance. And I guess Michelle just stares at boobs all day long, but Carolina doesn't mind. So she tells us they're flying to Sicily. She didn't have a high opinion of Italians. They were noisy, intrusive, and didn't know a word of English. (laughs) This is the most offensive book. (laughs) Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So they get to Catania Airport and she's just walking around because she's bored and Martin was in a mood. So she just wanted to get away from Martin. And then an enormous Italian pops out of nowhere and she nearly walks into him. And then she sees a group of Italian men wearing dark suits walking out of the terminal. So yeah, this is just the scene we witnessed earlier on in the chapter. No need to live it again. So then we have a little paragraph marker, new scene. It says, Hilton Giardina Naxos welcomed us with an enormous vase in the shape of a head, holding a bundle of tall white and pink lilies. Okay, so the the hotel welcomed them with an enormous head-shaped vase of flowers. Okay, what a weird way to say the hotel had flowers. She says, it's a bit Louis the 16th. I wonder if there's a bathtub with lion paws upstairs. And then everyone burst out laughing. Everyone. They'd all been thinking the same thing, it seemed. I assume she just means her and her three friends, not everyone in the lobby, just laughing, laughing, laughing. But remember, she's in the hotel business, so she notices this kind of thing. So they decide to meet in the lobby to go get lunch. And so she puts on a long black dress with a metal cross on the back, a pair of black flip-flops, a black leather fringe bag, a gold watch, and large round earrings. And she hastily applies some eyeliner and mascara, just touching up from this morning's makeup job. And then she powders her face, then she gets some lip gloss, and she drew a line along her lips without looking in the mirror. I thought she had all this permanently on her face, but okay. And Carolina and Michelle, they're staring at her and like, oh, how the hell did you have time to, to get changed so quickly? They're still in their plain clothes, like what fucking slobs they are. So then she tells them the secret to getting ready so quickly. I prepare in my head so then I can ready myself in a couple of minutes. And they're like, oh, wow. So she thinks ahead about what she's going to wear and then she puts it on. And like, okay, I prepare in my head so then I can ready myself in a couple of minutes. I'm starting to suspect this was a Google Translate job. I thought there was a translator who speaks both Polish and English and then, you know, obviously translated from the original Polish into English and just jazzed it up a bit so it makes sense, but I don't think so. And I looked at, like, the inner page of the book to be like, is the translator's name listed? And it's not. So I really think someone just dumped it into Google Translate and this is what came out because... I ready myself in a couple of minutes. People don't talk like that. Mm-mm. So they go to this restaurant by the beach called Tortuga. And it's a classy place with glass tables, white chairs and sofas and candles everywhere. And overhead, enormous sheets of white sailcloth waved and rippled in the wind, making it seem like it was floating. And I don't know if it's wise that a restaurant decorated with enormous sheets of white sailcloth has lit candles everywhere. That seems like a fire hazard. 
But no, the effect was magical, bright and breezy and simply perfect. Oh, but the prizes were a bit steep. Oh, the detail. There's so much backstory, I'm surprised she didn't give us a rundown on how the prices were calculated. And she can sort of feel everyone's eyes on her in the restaurant, but she thinks it's just because she's wearing all black and it's just decorated in all white, so she stands out. And she says something to Martin, and he's like, oh, you're just paranoid, no one's, no one's looking at you. And she's like, hmm, I have this feeling that I'm being watched. And it's like, yeah, okay, so the mob boss Massimo has, has got eyes on you. That's what the implication here is. You don't have to say it a million times. So she orders her favorite, which is grilled octopus, apparently, and a rosé prosecco. And the waiter, despite being a Sicilian, was also an Italian, which meant we couldn't expect anything done fast. Okay, she hates Italians. Hates them. And yeah, who would have thought that Sicilians would also be Italians? What a plot twist that is. And then she needs to go to the bathroom. So she heads for this small door, goes in, and that's just the dishwashing room. (laughs) Hilarious. So she turns around, but then she hits the stone hard chest of a tall man. And it's a handsome man, but he's Italian. She just knows, yep, that's an Italian man. But he has a British accent and he says, you seem lost. And he sort of touches her back and pushes her back into the restaurant. So she goes back to the table with Martin and Carolina and Michelle. And I was like, okay, didn't you need to go to the bathroom? But okay. And she must have been gone for a fucking hour or so. Because remember how the Italian Sicilian waiter was going to take his sweet ass time bringing them the drinks because he's an Italian and Italians don't do things quick. Well, they're already on their first round of drinks and were ordering another one. So her little trip to the dishwashing room must have taken up some time for them to have already gotten their drinks, sculled their drinks and were ordering another drink from the notoriously slow waiter. So she plays catch up, she smashes her Prosecco and then she glances nervously around in search of the tall Italian who had made my legs shake like they had on the day I had first ridden a motorbike after getting my driver's license. Whoa, what an unnecessarily complicated sentence. I glanced around nervously in search of the tall Italian who had made my legs shake like they had on that day I had first ridden a motorbike after getting my first driver's license. Like, okay. That's just backstory to backstory to backstory for a metaphor about how her legs are shaking. And she's looking for him and she's like, oh, he'll be easy to spot because he's wearing all black, just like me. And the place is decorated all white, as you'll remember. And Michelle is like, Laura, stop staring at people, have a drink. And in all that time, she was staring around looking for Massimo, I assume. A second glass of Prosecco has arrived at her table. So this silly and Italian waiter that always takes forever to take an order and place an order and bring an order is doing a bang up job. I think her prejudices are incorrect. And then Martin's like, oh, holy shit, it's past midnight. So happy birthday, Laura. So he starts singing happy birthday and Michelle and Carolina stand up and start singing as well. And the other guests stare at them intrigued, but then sing along in Italian. Uh, Has anyone ever found the birthday song intriguing? (laughs) If I hear someone at a restaurant singing happy birthday, I do that thing that Colin Firth does in Bridget Jones, you know, when when he and Hugh Grant are fighting outside the restaurant and then (laughs) then the waiter arrives with the cake while they're brawling. And Colin Firth's like, happy birthday, what's his name? <laughs> That's what I'd be doing. I'd be singing, happy birthday, what's his name? Happy birthday to you. <laughs> but nah, because we're in some sort of fantasy land, the whole restaurant joins in and then they all clap. They all clap because it's her birthday at midnight. Meanwhile, dinner at midnight. I thought they were going to lunch, but no, nah, I guess it's dinner at midnight. 
So then she gets up and she waves and bows at everyone because they all sang a happy birthday. What? No, they didn't. They all must be plastered. No one cares that it's your birthday at midnight. But she's pissed. She turns to Martin. She's like, why did you have to do that to me? Why did you have to involve everybody? And Martin's like, well, get over it. I've ordered us some Moe. And it's Moe and Shandon Rosé. And she goes, oh, I love it. And she jumps up and down, clapping her hands because there's a big bottle of Moe. And then the restaurant turns into a nightclub and the lighting is colorful and drastically changes the vibe of the place. And then she says, I really had to go to the restroom now. Well, of course you did. You needed to go before and you didn't go. So now you've been smashing back some more Prosecco. Of course, of course you need to go to the toilet. So she gets the weighted to point her in the right direction. And, and on her way to the toilet, she feels like she's being watched again. Oh boy. And she finds him and it's the man in the black suit. And his lips are full and well-defined and she thinks perfectly suited to pleasure a woman. <laughs> okay. That's your first thought when you see a pair of plump lips. Okay. So I guess she's just staring at him from across the room, but then someone walks past her and bumps her and she falls over. And then all of a sudden the guy in the black suit is next to her being like, are you okay? So he's, he's made it across the room because she was just staring at him from across the room, but now he's there all of a sudden, maybe he can just apparate. And she's like, have you been watching me the whole evening? And he's like, oh, I work for the club. I supervise staff, check on guests, you know, that kind of thing. And she's like, hmm, all right. And then she heads off to the restroom. And he says, see you around, Laura. And she's like, what? So she spins around to catch him because obviously she didn't say her name was Laura, but he's nowhere to be seen. So yeah, he really did just disapparate. Because remember, the black clothing stands out in the white restaurant. So I don't know how he's appearing and disappearing out of nowhere. And she's thinking, how does he know my name? And then Carolina's there and she's like, uh, you'll never reach the ladies room. Come on. So Carolina must have just been staring from the table being like, this bitch just still hasn't peed. I'm going to take matters into my own hands and get her to the toilet. Because what a saga just going to the toilet is. So then they finally get back to the table. Everything's finally or suddenly in this book. So they're finally at the table and there's another big bottle of Moe. And Martin's like, I thought you guys ordered this. And she's like, I didn't order it. And so they think the, the establishment must have just given it to her as a birthday present. <laughs> like that's a thing. But she's like, hmm, I bet it's the man in black. And then they spend the rest of the evening wandering around clubs and return to the hotel when the sun is rising. God, what a night. So then she wakes up, she's hungover. She smashes some painkillers and then she goes to the pool. And Michelle and Carolina, they're already by the pool sipping on some ice cold wine. But it's in a plastic cup because they're by the pool and we need to know this detail. So Michelle gives her a sip and she says, oh, it's delicious, cold and wet. And she downs the glass in one go. And I was like, that was Michelle's drink. And... Michelle doesn't seem to care, but I would have, I would have been annoyed because she just drank my drink. Now I've got to get up and go to the bar or another one and pay for it with my own money. Like, oh, all right, Laura, I know it's your birthday, but you know, that was my wine. And she's like, have you seen Martin? And they're like, oh, he's working in the lobby on his laptop. And she hates that he's always on his laptop. She thinks he's just always spending his time on the computer, doesn't have any time to spend on her. And then Michelle gets distracted by someone with big boobs and he says, look at those tits. (laughs) Okay. So she bitches to Carolina about Martin always being on his laptop. 
She's very sexually frustrated. She says, oh, am I that ugly? Is there something wrong with me? Is it wrong that I just want to have a good fuck once in a while? So Carolina's like, come on, let's get a drink. So she wraps her beach scarf into a turban, puts on her Ralph Lauren sunglasses, and she's ready to go to the bar. So she's, she's wrapped her beach scarf into a turban. What's a beach scarf? Does she, does she mean a towel? And, and she's just walking around with a, with a towel on her head, like a turban. Like that thing when you go have a shower and you wash your hair and then you wrap a towel around your head. Is she doing that at, by the pool? Like, excuse me? So she can't find Martin or Michelle. So she goes to the bar. She orders some Prosecco. Cold Prosecco, she specifies, because I, I guess warm Prosecco was an option. And she hears a voice behind her being like, I thought you liked Maui. And it's the man in black. Although it's not really the man in black because he's now wearing off-white linen pants and a bright shirt. And she's like, I get the feeling that you're following me. And he says, yeah, it's not a feeling. And it's not a coincidence either. Happy 29th birthday, Laura. Yeah, he's, he's really flexing that he knows all about her. And then he kisses her on the cheek and she's shocked, dumbfounded and mute. How did he know my age? <laughs> so then the bartender comes down with a bucket of moe and a cupcake with a candle in it. And she turns around, but he's vanished. Because yeah, he's Dobby the house elf. Crack your fingers and he's, he's disappearing and going somewhere else. So she says she's pissed off by this, but also disoriented and intrigued. And she just doesn't really know what the hell's up with this mysterious man. She's like, the first thing that came to my mind that he was some kind of pervert. <laughs> but then she thought, oh no, he's really handsome. So he's probably not a pervert. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if handsomeness comes into being a perv or not. And she thinks of a few other scenarios, but ultimately she's like, ah, what do I care? Free champagne. <laughs> and then Martin and Michelle finally arrive and she goes, what the fuck, Martin? It's my birthday and you vanish for hours. It's always what you want. I'm never the most important thing in your life. And you miss lunch. Basically, she has this little rant. And I mean, she's got a point. Martin really was neglecting her. But also, are you really going to take her seriously? She's wearing a beach scarf as a turban right now. <laughs> But she's so upset, she just leaves the hotel and starts wandering the streets. And she's walking around town crying, sobbing. And at this point, the sun's setting and she's like, ah, my feet hurt uh, because my wedge heeled flip flops, despite being a work of art, were not shoes for long walks. (laughs) God, this book is just poetry in motion. So she notices the cafe. She goes, she sits down. She orders sparkling wine. And then she's just staring at the sea, being sad. Then she orders a four cheese pizza and a tiramisu. And I mean, what a beautiful meal. So then as she's heading back to the hotel, two black SUVs pass her by. And she remembers seeing cars like that back at the airport. And then she realizes that she's a bit lost. She looks around, but the only thing she could see were the lights of approaching cars. And that's the end of the chapter, which seems a bit anticlimactic. I would have ended with the tiramisu because... That would have been a beautiful climax to the first chapter. Or, I I mean, I assume she's about to get kidnapped. Could have ended on a kidnap, but no, she's just lost in the streets. And clearly, she's going to get kidnapped, right? Let me know your thoughts. You guys are on Patreon, so hit me up over there. Or you can chat to me on Twitter and Instagram, etc. You know all the links by now. And I'll see you next week for chapter two of this really fucking bizarre book. I mean, it was a long first chapter. It was like 50 pages. And we've got old mate rape and a flight attendant. 
but then buying another girl champagne because she looks like the vision that he's got in his head from when he had a coma five years ago. I mean, explain that plot to someone without sounding like an idiot. I need to go process that. So I'll see you next time. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.